Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from John chapter 6, verses 41 through 59. John chapter 6, verses 41 through 59. And it reads, So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among, among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Amen. Well, if you were listening to the sermon or listening to the sermon this past week, then you, you know that last week I mentioned how my mother is a baker and how she loves to cook. And she is not able to as she used to because uh, she turned 90 years old this year. Uh, in fact, I asked her prayers. She was hospitalized this past week or so and uh, with a seizure and so... Uh, we're waiting to hear news of her release. So please, please do keep her um, in your prayers this morning. But she loved to cook. And she loved to cook because her favorite thing was watching her friends and her family enjoy her food. Isn't that right, Sister Bynum? She cooked for the joy of others, which brought her joy. And I mentioned last week how people loved her dinner rolls. They would clamor for them, whether it was in the community or at church events. They enjoyed her rolls. And I enjoyed her dinner rolls as well. The aroma alone of those rolls cooking in the house was enough to wake you up out of a deep sleep. But while most people enjoyed her dinner rolls the best, I must confess this morning that my 
favorite thing that my mother made were her cinnamon rolls. Her cinnamon rolls. My mother made cinnamon rolls with raisins, Pastor Phil. With raisins. And walnuts. And she sprinkled in some chunks of pineapples just for good measure. And she would top them off with a thick glaze that would give you every sense of heaven. They were, her, they were her cinnamon rolls. I call them sweet rolls. Alan Bino called them sweet bread. On one of my mother's visits to Atlanta, she made a batch of cinnamon rolls, and somehow, some way, I don't know, Alan got wind of it, and he came to the house, and he picked up a few. And ever since that day, he has religiously asked me, whenever my mother would come to town, is she making sweet bread? Is she making sweet bread? The sweet bread was an apt description of my mother's cinnamon rolls. However, I am inclined this morning to suggest that it is a better description of Jesus. The bread of life is sweet bread, beloved. Sweet bread. Jesus is sweet bread. As we continue to look at our discourse in John chapter 6, and last week we began this message on the bread of life. This week we continue, and last week we saw that Jesus had made some bold and unprecedented statements in the first part of this section. In John chapter 6 and verse 35, Jesus took upon himself identity with God and referred to himself as I am. I am. But not just I am, he referred to himself as the bread of life. In verse 40, he unequivocally said that eternal life comes from belief and trust in him. In verse 39, he promised that no one, no one who believes or comes to him would ever be left behind. Jesus said that he was the bread that came down from heaven and thus equating himself with the manna in the Old Testament. Now these, beloved, are some strong, these are some bold, these are unprecedented statements. They are unique statements. No one had ever dared to speak publicly like Jesus here spoke. No one, no one would dare to stand up in the synagogue and make such statements. And yet Jesus did. Jesus made these statements without hesitation, without trepidation. Jesus made these statements and he made it clear. Clear who he was and clear what he came to do. He was stating in no uncertain terms that he is the son of God. 
that he is the bread of life, that he came down from heaven. Now that doesn't hit us. But to those Jews who were in that synagogue that day, that someone would dare stand up and say that he came down from heaven. When they heard it, many of them were incredulous and they questioned his integrity. And in their minds, they were questioning his sanity. Notice what it says in verse 41. They said, how can he say, I am the bread from heaven? How can this guy say he came from heaven? Notice what they say in verse 42. How can he say he come from heaven? We know his family. I went to school with his brothers. We know where his mother lives. We know what his father did for a living. Who does he think he is? Now, the interesting thing, beloved, is that the Bible tells us that they said these things kind of under their breath. It says that they mumbled and they grumbled and they questioned among themselves. You know, like I used to do when I was young. When I didn't like something my mother said, I would mumble to myself, but not too loud, if you know what I mean. So I'm sure they tried to keep it low as well. But Jesus didn't need to hear them, did he? Because the Bible tells us that he already knew what they were questioning in their minds. He already knew their thoughts before they thought them. He already knew their plans before they planned them. He already knew what they were saying. They had questions. Jesus has answers. Jesus always has answers. And his answer is to serve his people bread. The bread of life. Sweet bread. Now listen, beloved. Listen, okay? Jesus' bread is sweet bread. Jesus' bread is the bread of life. But the interesting thing, beloved, is that not everybody likes his bread. Okay? Not everybody likes raisins, Pastor Phil. Not everybody likes walnuts. Not everybody likes pineapple. But the Bible tells us that those who are being saved, they like raisins. They like walnuts. They like pineapples. They desire sweet bread. The Bible tells us that those who are being saved like his sweet bread, but for others it is an offense. As it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16, for some 
the gospel of Jesus Christ is the aroma of life. And for others, it is the aroma of death. Same aroma. Same bread. For some, it is sweetness unto life. And for others, it is bitterness. It is an offense unto death. The bread that Jesus serves, beloved, for those who are being saved, is sweet. And my mother's bread was sweet because it was homemade. Jesus' bread is sweet because it's heaven-made. It's heaven-made bread. And how do you know it's heaven-made bread? Because it is sovereign bread. It is secured bread, and it is exclusive bread. It's heaven-made, heaven-made. You know it's heaven-made because it's sovereign bread. Those who were there with Jesus that day, and they questioned Jesus, they were so focused on the physical so focused on the natural dimensions of his word that they missed the most important spiritual dimensions of his word. But this is not unusual. This is to be expected. Because the Bible tells us over and over again that the kingdom of God is not perceived, that the kingdom of God is not received with physical faculties. The kingdom of God is not naturally attained. The things of God, the things of the kingdom are revealed. This is what Jesus told Peter in Matthew chapter 16. When Peter gives a confession that Jesus is the Christ. In verse 17, Jesus says to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon Bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Why? Because the truth of the kingdom is revealed. Flesh and blood cannot see it, understand it. Because it is revealed, because the truths of the kingdom are given. They are given. This is what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 11. He said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. The kingdom is revealed. The kingdom is given. The administration of the grace and the truth are according to Holy Spirit's discretion. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. For the person without the Spirit does not accept the things 
that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Let me put it plain to you this morning, in case you haven't got it already. God determines who comes to know Jesus. He determines who has ears to hear. And because Jesus knows this, because Jesus is sovereign, Jesus was not pressed that they didn't believe. He was not pressed that they didn't understand. And how do you know this? Because of his reply to them in verse 44 of chapter 6, where he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I'm not pressed. Because I know that only those whom the Father has called, only those whom the Father has drawn will come to me. Those who come to Jesus are sovereignly drawn to him by God. This is the sovereignty of God in the salvation of his people. And this is a theme that runs consistently throughout the Gospel of John. The sovereignty of God in the salvation of his people. You see this in John 1 and verse 13 where the Bible says that we are born again not of our own will, not of our own want, but by the sovereign will of God. We've already seen in John chapter 5 in verse 21, where Jesus said, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. In John chapter 13, Jesus is talking with his disciples, and he knows that Judas is still amongst them. Jesus says, I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. Beloved, I want you to hear this morning the blessed sweetness of the sovereignty of God and choosing you for salvation. There is nothing so sweet as this bread that brings me to understand that God was sovereign in saving my soul. Nothing, nothing gives me more assurance 
Nothing promotes more humility. Nothing inspires more worship. Nothing gives God more glory than for his people to know what it says in Jonah chapter 2 and verse 9, that salvation is of the Lord. That from him and through him and for him are all things, especially your salvation, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. There's a sweetness in knowing Beloved, there is a sweetness in knowing that my salvation doesn't belong to me. It belongs to Jesus. That I didn't find Jesus. That Jesus found me. That I sought the Lord and afterward I knew that he moved my soul to seek him seeking me. That it was not I that found, O Savior, true. No, I was found of thee. Listen, beloved. You come to Jesus because Jesus came for you. You seek him who sought you. You call on him who has called you. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19 that we love him because he first loved us. This, beloved, is good bread. This is heaven-made bread. This is sweet bread this morning. It is sweet because it is sovereign. But not only because it is sovereign, it is sweet, therefore, because it is secure. Listen to me. Listen to me. Sovereign bread has to be secure bread. Because if it's not secure bread, it's not sovereign bread. And therefore, it's not sweet. It's sweet because it's sovereign. It's sweet because it is secured. The sovereign bread of life is secure bread. Jesus has guaranteed his bread. And he reminded them of this when he was still talking to them in the synagogue. He reminded them in verse 49 that the, that the bread in the wilderness only gave temporary life. They ate it and they still died. What makes his bread so sweet is that those who eat it receive eternal life, guaranteed not to die. This is the point that Jesus is making in verse 49 when he again states that he is the bread of life. And he stated this, meaning that he is sovereign bread. And anyone who eats this bread, says in verse 51, will live forever. Guaranteed. 
Guaranteed. You eat this bread. And unlike those in the wilderness, you will not die. Why? Because, beloved, salvation is Jesus guaranteeing all those who put their trust in him will live forever. Salvation in Jesus Christ is guaranteed. All those who have put their trust in him, it's guaranteed. Now, now I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to rehearse this again. Okay, we've been over this time and again, and I don't want to rehearse it for what it means for a Christian to be eternally secure, for a Christian to be once saved, always saved. We, we went over it uh, last week. We've been over it again, and I don't want to rehearse it again, even though I don't mind. I don't mind going over and over again because it's so sweet, and I like sweet bread. But I hope we are getting the point by now. And if you insist, if you insist on living your Christian life without the security of knowing that Christ has guaranteed your salvation, then that's on you, beloved. That's on you because Jesus makes the point over and over again, and he's making it this morning that he is sovereign. And if he is sovereign, then you are secure. It is done. It is done because in the Bible, sovereignty and security go together. They go together. When God discusses or when God reveals his sovereignty in saving his people, he also reveals their security in that. All the time, all the time. I'll just give you a couple. In John chapter 10 and verse 27, the Bible tells us that Jesus sovereignly calls his sheep. And then in verse 28, he says, Jesus never loses a sheep. Sovereignty and security go together. That's what makes the bread so sweet this morning. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 30, the Bible says that God sovereignly calls that God sovereignly justifies, that God sovereignly glorifies. And then in verse 35, he says what? Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because sovereignty and security go together. If you are saved this morning, you are secure this morning. That's why it's so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. Just to rest upon his promise. Just to know, thus saith the Lord. And what does he say? He says, I am sovereign 
and you are secure. And that taste this morning, oh, so sweet. Oh, so sweet. It's not just sovereign bread, and it's not just secure bread. But Jesus also reminded them that this is exclusive bread. I mean, beloved, you, you, you can't get this bread anyway. When my mother made her rolls or when my mother made her sweet bread, you couldn't go down to the local grocery and get it. There was only one place, there was only one place, there was only one place to get that sweet bread that she made with the walnuts and the raisins and the pineapple. There was only one place I knew. Wasn't sold at the local grocery. They weren't offering it to everybody down at the stand. There's only one place to get that bread. And in verse 51, Jesus makes another remarkable statement that lets them know that there's only one place to get this bread. Where he said, and it caused them much consternation, the bread that I'm talking about is my flesh. My flesh. When they heard that, beloved, again, they were in disbelief. Again, they began to grumble and to mumble amongst them themselves. Why? Because, beloved, their eyes were not open, their hearts had not been softened, and therefore their focus remained on the natural. Eating another person's flesh, as far as they were concerned, was not an option. They were looking for fish. They weren't looking for his flesh. But then Jesus took it up to an even higher level. In verse 53, he says, now, you listen, and I want to be very, very clear. Unless you eat my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no life in you. Did you understand what I said? Truly, truly, I say to you, there is only one way to life. There is only one way to this bread of life. You must come, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. There is a bread. That when people hear it, not everybody wants it, beloved. I know we, we like to think that Jesus is so attractive and, and so appealing and so desired by everyone because he is so attractive and so appealing and so desired by us. But that's because our eyes have been opened. That's because we have come to understand. But the natural man and woman to think 
of eating the flesh of Christ, to think of drinking his blood. They mumble and grumbled amongst themselves. They were not interested in eating his flesh. They were not interested in drinking his blood. They're thinking to themselves, we're not zombies. This isn't the walking dead. What in the world is he talking about? Beloved, what does Jesus mean by the eating of his flesh and the drinking of his blood? Well, obviously, obviously, beloved, it doesn't mean his literal flesh. And, and when we come to the communion table, when we will come to the communion table moments from now, we don't literally eat the flesh of Christ. We don't literally drink the blood of Christ as some may think that we do. But when Jesus says that you must eat of my flesh, that you must drink of my blood, he is reminding us, he is reminding those who have ears to hear that life dependence is eating and drinking. Life dependence is eating and drinking and we know this. Because when anybody that we are caring for, when they, stop, when they stop eating, what do we anticipate? When they stop eating, we anticipate them not living much longer. When Jesus said in chapter 4 of John, in verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. What Jesus was saying is that my life's sustenance was to be submitted and obedient to the Father. The Father's will is my food. The Father's will is my drink. And to eat of the flesh of Jesus and to drink of the blood of Jesus is to be having complete dependence upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. My life is dependent upon his body broken and beaten on the cross. My life is dependent upon his blood shed for my sins. And every time I come to the communion table, I am saying, Jesus, you are my life. Without this, I stop eating. Without you, I die. And I thus feed upon the cross of Christ every day. I feed upon his body broken for me. I drink of his blood for the remission of my sins. Do you hear that, beloved? Do you hear that? Do you know that every time you and I sin, our souls drink upon the blood of Christ? 
but a remission of those sins. Every time this world causes us to hunger, our soul feeds upon his body broken for us. And that's why we can sing it is well with my soul. When you believe and trust in Jesus and your life is dependent upon his grace and mercy, not just for eternal life to come, but for eternal life now, then we every day feed and drink upon Jesus. This is why Jesus calls it in verse 55. What does he call it? Chapter 6, verse 55. He calls it true food. He calls it true drink. Why? Because he's saying, I'm not talking about the bread that comes out the oven. This is true food. For this feeds your soul. This is true drink. For it satisfies the spirit. It is true. It is true because Jesus here is distinguishing himself from everyone and everything else. There is one true food. There is one true drink. Everything else is false. There is only one food that has come down from heaven. Everything else is false. There is only one true drink that has been poured out for the remission of sins. Everything else is false. There is only one food this morning, beloved, that gets you to heaven. There is only one bread that is sweet enough to satisfy your longing soul. It is Jesus. And this is what Jesus is saying. He is making clear his uniqueness. He is making clear his exclusivity. And the arguments that Jesus makes for himself are unquestionable. He is clear. Only he knows the Father. Only he knows the Father. Only he can reveal the Father to you. Only he can give you eternal life. Only he can save. Only Jesus. Jesus points to Jesus. Now, beloved, you can't read Jesus and get anything but Jesus. Okay, and I know people read the Bible and they get all kinds of things to argue about. But I'm telling you this morning, when you read Jesus, 
All you get is Jesus. Jesus consistently points to Jesus. And in a world where we make all sorts of arguments and we draw all kinds of lines of demarcation that we make for our lives and our friends, we make it about politics and we make it about race and we make it about gender, Jesus made it about Jesus. He always made it about Jesus. Why? Because only Jesus can save. All of your arguments about politics, they're not going to save. They are false bread. All of your arguments about race, they are not going to save. All of your arguments about gender and equality, they are not going to save. Only Jesus saves. This is what Jesus is saying, beloved. There's only one way to inherit eternal life. No matter how well you know them or how versed you are in these other arguments, the Bible says in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 that there is salvation found in nothing else, in no one else. For there is only one name under heaven given by which we can be saved. Jesus says his name. He is the only life-giving bread. He is the only sufficient bread. His is the only bread that leads to heaven. His is the only bread that leads to the Father. His is the only bread that grants eternal life. That's why the songwriter said it so eloquently. And I pray that each of us can sing it this morning too. And my faith has found a resting place. Not in device or creed. I trust the ever-living one. For his wounds make my plea. I need no other argument. And I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died. It is enough that the bread came down from heaven. It is enough that he has opened my eyes so that I may see, that he has opened my ears that I may hear, that he has changed my taste buds that I might taste and see that he is enough, that he is enough for me, the bread of life the bread of heaven. Oh, Lord, feed us again till we want no more. Let's pray.